A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. It comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hi, David. Hi. Uh, appreciate you finding the time. We'll record a, a conversation and uh, edit it down later to make us both concise and you know, mostly me, because I tend to prattle on. Well, I, I know what you guys can do is make me say black is green and one and one make 10 and all that, but that's the medium. That's a good idea. We're going to do that. <laughs> we, we, we've never met before. I've been covering the media for uh, 10 years now, and though we've never met, your name, your name has come up. Uh-oh. When I... First started this Canada Land project, the first bunch of stories we did were about CBC hosts, uh, Rex Murphy taking money from uh, the petroleum producers, giving paid speeches. Uh, Peter Mansbridge was doing that. Uh, it was all kind of happening pretty secretly. And then, you know, Canadian Geographic magazine, this supposedly environmental magazine, was getting money from the petroleum producers and they were putting up pro-oil sands uh, curriculum into school rooms. <laughs> So that's, that's how we sort of got on the map for a lot of people. And then people started telling me, you got to look into this Suzuki character. Ah. Uh, fellow named Ezra Levant. <laughs> he said, that's got to be your next target. And he started sending me all these files and telling me you were up to no good. And I don't care. I'll, I'll, I'll do an expose on anyone if, if the facts are there. Uh, it, it was no good. He had me trying to track you down that you were in cahoots with an oil company. Turns yeah. out, <laughs> you remember this? Jesus Christ. Yeah. It was uh, a co-ownership of property on an island. And uh, I didn't know who else uh, had bought into it. But apparently, I only know from what other people have said, one of the owners used to run a company that, Collected old oil or something? I don't know. 
It wasn't an oil salesman, but it was long gone. He was retired. And uh, Listen, I wasted a lot of my time trying to figure this out. <laughs> it was a defunct company that used to yeah. deliver like oil to people's homes, yeah. and they hadn't done it in decades. And then you own some land that's somehow associated – on paper, it says, oh, Suzuki is connected to an oil company. It could, could yeah. have been a big expose. There was nothing there. That's uh, Ezra's style is to find this fact and this fact – join them together to make it seem like something pernicious. But that's the style. That's the way it goes. He's not the only one. They've been coming after you. I've been, I've been reading up on, you know, the various controversies, but the controversies, I can't find anything that you did, basically. But I could find a lot of people over the years trying to paint you as a fraud or that you've got some secret or that you're secretly funded by this one or that – and none of it – ultimately stands the test of time or of scrutiny. Why do you think they keep coming at you? Well, obviously, it's uh, they don't want to deal with the issue being raised. I mean, you see it with Al Gore, for example, uh, who had a, has had a huge impact after he was left office as a climate uh, advocate. And, you know, one of the first attacks was Al Gore owns a big house in Tennessee that uh, takes a lot of energy. But these kinds of, of attacks are meant to keep us from dealing with the issue being raised. You know, if you undercut the authenticity or the hypocrisy of, of someone, then that seems to be a reason to ignore whatever they're saying. It's a very effective tactic, I think. Shoot the messenger. Yep. It's uh, it's not just, you know, Ezra Levant's got a reputation that's well known and the courts have, have weighed in on his disregard for the facts. But, you know, it's, it's, it's more mainstream voices as well. You used to have a column for the Globe and Mail, but then they kind of turned on you. I, I don't know. Well, he, he, so, so here's uh, a Globe and Mail column from 2018. Mr. Suzuki is known by most as a twinkly-eyed old sage with a harmless message about living in tune with nature. But his messages are not benign. He doesn't simply oppose fossil fuels or the capitalist system. He's a menace to scientific inquiry. <laughs> okay. Because until you got the menace to scientific inquiry, he's right. He's absolutely right. I, I am a threat to the, uh, the current status quo. And, uh, you know, at the heart of a great deal of our problems is capitalism itself. He's right on that. I got to correct you. It's, uh, it's, it's, it was actually Margaret Wente who wrote that in Global Oh, World. Margaret. Yeah, I've, I've talked to Margaret uh, in the past. What is she doing now? Is she retired? I think that's it for her. And, and, and when I say that Margaret Wente wrote that, uh, as far as I know, she wrote that. But it's possible that that's something that somebody else wrote. Well, you know, I, I got fired. I used to write a weekly column for the Globe and Mail. Mm -hmm. I got fired because they said – uh, well, he said to me in private, you know, you're supposed to be a science, a science columnist, and you're too heavily environmental. I don't know why that wasn't science wasn't related to that. But I ended up attacking many of the people like Corcoran on the financial pages. And I guess that just wasn't wasn't acceptable. And they dumped me. According to a uh, McLean's feature, you were dumped for being too preachy. Ah, Okay. Going through your, your old broadcasts, the message you had decade after decade was pretty, pretty consistent. What bothers me is that in a, in a world that's becoming extremely complex, 
in which the environment in, in many ways is being ravished very rapidly. Rather than trying to recover our good environment, our clean air and clean water and so on, we may begin to say, well, let's adapt man. Welcome to a brand new season of The Nature of Things. I'm David Suzuki. 300 climatologists meeting in Toronto have concluded that the evidence is overwhelming that our use of fossil fuels is causing an increase in the temperature of the planet through global warming. If we don't do something about this, they tell us, the results will be catastrophic for humankind, second only in danger to all-out nuclear war. I was taken aback this idea that perhaps you had gotten angrier over the years or something, but, but, but the warning that you were sounding is the same warning for a very long time. Yeah, recently uh, over the summer, Ideas rebroadcast uh, some of the shows from previous shows I've done. Like I did a series in 1989 uh, for radio called It's a Matter of Survival, and they broadcast three of them. And what was chilling was one that it could be broadcast today, it was every bit as relevant. In other words, we haven't done a goddamn thing about the issues being raised. But what was even more chilling was an interview with the hottest politician elected in the 1988 election. Brian Mulroney was re-elected. He appointed Lucien Bouchard, who is this hot new politician, to be the Minister of the Environment. And that was to show that Mulroney placed environment as a high priority. So you hear in the interview, I say to him, Mr. Mr. Minister, now this is a few months after Bouchard had taken the job, what have you found is the most important issue confronting Canadians today? This is 1989, and he immediately said, global warming. That was impressive. You know, so I said, how serious is it? And these are his exact words. We are dealing with the survival of the species. It threatens the survival of our species. It is a question of great, great emergency. We must stop seeing the burning of fossil fuels as the only way to live in Canada. 1989. You know, the politicians had heard it. He understood what the issue was. And... uh The tragedy is that we didn't take that seriously. Uh, Bouchard himself, obviously he felt the separation of Quebec was more important than the survival of our species. Mr. Mulroney had been given a blueprint for what we have to do. In 1988, when he chaired one of the first international meetings on the atmosphere, this is in Toronto, and uh, he opened the meeting In uh, 1988, he was newly elected. The primary speech was delivered by Gro Harlem Brundtland, the Prime Mm -hmm. Minister of Norway. Stephen Lewis chaired the the sessions for three days. James Hansen, the man who, a climatologist who had earlier said in Congress in the United States, he was 99% sure that the warming they were experiencing that year was due to man-made global warming. So it was all there. There were government representatives from over 40 countries in the world. 300 people attended. At the end of the conference, the press release said, human beings are performing an uncontrolled, unprecedented experiment with the only home we have. 
and the threat to human survival was second only to an all-out nuclear war. That's what the press release said at the end of the meeting. And they called for a 20% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions in 15 years. If we had taken that warning seriously and done it, looked to a 20% reduction in 15 years, we would not have the crisis we have today. If, if, if. And, and what's maddening about going through your archives is that we knew and you knew. And, yeah. and here's the other way that your name comes up around here in this small news company. Uh, my colleagues say we should do more climate stories. We should do more climate coverage. And uh, I say, well, why do we do climate coverage? And they say, well, we have to tell people. And I say, well, who doesn't know? Who, do, who, who doesn't know? They say, no, it's not represented enough. We have to get the message out. And, and then I look at the archives and there are, what, four or five decades? But, but not for that entire period, but for most of it, David Suzuki was not on a podcast. He was on the, the, the national broadcaster getting serious ratings. You know, like some of your stuff has like 1.8 million. Like the theory of why climate coverage is so that we could tell people that this is real and we can put the lie to the propaganda so that then they could go and make better decisions as citizens, as consumers, et cetera, et cetera, so that then we can avoid the worst outcomes. And right. your, your career in a sense is proof that that is a completely ineffective strategy for, for combating climate change. I mean, do you walk around just wanting to punch people in, in the neck for like you, – you've been, you've been screaming at us about this for a long time. Well, that's interesting because I was going out for dinner with my daughter who's now the uh, executive director of the David Suzuki Foundation. And uh, this is in our neighborhood. A guy jumped out and uh, he looked friendly. He was about 40 to 50 years old. He said, Suzuki, I, I went, yeah. And he says, I'd like to punch you in the face. So I was really taken aback. I wanted to ask him, well, why? You know, why would a young guy like you want to punch an old man like me? But my daughter kind of dragged me off. But that that is a tragedy, is that the message, the message is a hard message. What was he mad at you about? I have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, you know, I've had uh, death threats and all. We had a bullet fired through our window. Back then, we were fighting the forest industry. Then it was very heated in British Columbia. But the idea, rather than countering and saying, Suzuki, you're full of shit and this is why, which is what I would like to indulge in, it's you really piss me off and I want to punch you out. And so the frightening thing about today is that there is no opportunity for dialogue. You know, Ezra has his agenda and everything that is said will feed into his narrative. And there's no exchange. Uh, I went up to a, a guy manning a table a few uh, months ago that said, recall EB. This is uh, the newly uh, appointed premier of British Columbia. Three weeks after he was appointed, there's a, a table saying, recall EB. So I went up and said, hey, why? You know, what's going on here? Very friendly. He said, you know, well, it's all about freedom, you know, the, the vaccination demands. Mm -hmm. So it's all the truckers stuff, you know. So I said, you know, you guys talk about freedom. But when I breathe the air coming out of your nose and you're breathing the air coming out of my nose, 
don't you think there's a responsibility there? You know, how can you talk about freedom without responsibility? And the response was, Suzuki, you used to be a good guy. Why are you such an asshole now? So again, the whole thing is, you're an asshole. I don't have to deal with the issue that you're dealing with. And that's what is really frightening to me today is, you know, with Trump and all of the crap that he's promulgating and people repeating it over and over again, there's no opportunity for conversation. And and I think we're in a, a really, you know, Rex Murphy, for Christ's sake, guy I long admired for his outspokenness, but for people like this to deny, as you say, look, What's the issue about climate change? You can't deny it. It's there. But guys like that are. Uh, we have a different agenda. I hear you. And, and uh, I, I hear you decrying these people who don't want to talk about the facts. They just want to talk in, in personal and ad hominem uh, mm-hmm. attacks. But I'm asking you, you've been trying to have a conversation speaking with facts and reason for a long time. And some people don't want to hear it. Do you ever just feel like? Like you've given people too much credit. You've been telling us the truth for a long time and we'll watch the pretty pictures and we like looking at the animals, but nothing's changed. No, it's uh, – I have to do what I – the only thing that I personally think I'm capable of doing. I, I don't have the conceit that I'm the one that's going to make the, the difference. I just have to do the tiny bit and I've been given this huge opportunity uh, of a – in a way a platform – for uh, my ideas uh, on the nature of things and a number of radio series I've done. I just have to do the best I can. And uh, I have no illusion that, you know, I'm so important, I've got to be the one. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. I'm the generation that was brought up being educated. I can never say I didn't know because from the time I was a child, I was taught about global warming and climate change and – uh, I remember the Earth Day special on network TV. I, it's never been seriously considered to me that there's a, another narrative that maybe it's not. It's obviously real. It's always been that way. And yet I, I, I now have a sense of frustration and futility because I've been hearing, oh, the time is running out. Time is running out. We got to do something. And at a certain point, like time has kind of run out or the time to really set it back has – like we, we squandered it. And it made me think about the message itself and where maybe the message went wrong. George Mombio wrote that the big polluter's masterstroke was to blame the climate crisis on you and me. Uh-huh. And I've been thinking a lot about what I've been told since I was a kid was a combination of, you know, businesses need to wake up to this, governments need to wake up to this. But any kid hearing that the world is in such dire straits, what can I do? And they had, oh, you can do something. Don't worry. You can be a part of the solution. And everything from buying these green products to, you know, recycling and trying to limit. Uh, I wonder if that wasn't a huge misdirection and and creates all this personal anxiety and and shame and stress and we're judging each other and people come after you oh he took a plane to get here I, it, this is missing the point entirely and it was doing an incredible favor argues mombio to the actual corporations because they're they're happy to sell us those products and they're happy to say yeah this is your fault consumer oh, yeah. Where, whereas really this was a problem that only could have been solved yeah. at the policy level the thing i see now as a real problem is that We're all caught up in systems. The roots to me lie in the agricultural revolution 10,000 years ago. Once, before we became farmers, we were nomadic hunter-gatherers. That's for 95% of human existence. That's what we did. We carried everything we owned on our backs. We followed animals over their migrations. We had to hunt for plants during the seasons. And when you live in that state, you know goddamn well, you're a part of a much bigger system, that nature is the source of your very survival. And that understanding, what we call an ecocentric perspective, that we are one strand in a complex web of relationships with all other species of animals and plants, with air, water, soil, and sunlight. That's the way people have lived since the beginning of our species. And today, it's still the indigenous people that look at the world in an ecocentric way. They are a threat to the establishment because it's a very different way of living with our our surroundings. But once you had agriculture, you could stay in place. You didn't have to wander around. You could now build a permanent structure, houses, which became villages and towns. But as our populations grew, we had to have rules to interact with each other, to have transactions with each other. And so you get religions and and uh, economies and laws and all of that. They are all built on a very different relationship with nature. They're built, our economic, political, legal systems are built on what we call an anthropocentric way of seeing the world. It's more of a pyramid now, not a web, but a pyramid where we're at the top. And everything below is for us. The earth is no longer our mother. It's a 
huge opportunity. You know, another species is no, no longer our biological kin. They're a resource. Mm-hmm. You know, a river is no longer the circulatory system of the land. It's energy and irrigation. You know, a forest is no longer uh, a community of organisms. It's timber and pulp. So we're imposing humans and the way we see the world in in that way. And I go through now, looking at our legal, our economic, and our political systems, nature and what nature does to keep the planet habitable is left out. And so they are inevitably destructive. And so that's threatening. You're goddamn right it's threatening. This is what uh, Ezra has tapped into. You know, don't listen to these guys because it is very, very threatening. Let me just give you the simplest example of why the system's crazy. First of all, economics is predicated now on the creed of cancer, growth, endless growth. And the result is going to be the same, uh, whether it's economic or a biological system. Anyway, uh, Mark Carney, who I think has got a lot of economic cred, Mm -hmm. wrote a book called Values. And in the first chapter, he tells us that one of the problems is Amazon, the company Jeff Bezos started, is valued by the economy in the tens of billions of dollars. Amazon, the greatest ecosystem on the planet, has no value in the economy until someone logs it, mines it, dams it, floods it, uh, converts it into a city or uh, farm to grow soybeans. So only when humans impose or exploit something does it have any economic value. Preach on, preach on. I'm sold. I'm sold, man. But but let's let's take this to the actual logical conclusion because before we would assign things like, oh, this is radical talk or this is you got to be a hippie. But like at a certain point, facts are facts and reality wins over, right? It's just it's just true that this man-made system of capitalism, of the economy, does not have within its scope a value for just as you say, the Amazon company will value it higher than anything else. The Amazon rainforest, zero value. Exactly. The nation state, which is a man-made construct where we draw invisible lines, is an ill-equipped device for dealing with this problem because this problem doesn't respect our imaginary lines. So it doesn't matter uh, to a certain extent. And what do they say in the tar sands? Well, it doesn't matter if we stop digging this stuff up because some other country is going to go and just do the same thing. There's a point there. It's true. So all of the systems we have for solving problems, whether it's through capitalism and and, and companies or whether it's through nation states making laws unto themselves, are ill-equipped to deal with this problem. So where does that actually take us? I think you got kind of close to it in something you said, but then you were kind of forced to walk back, which is, you know, if you're making the nature of things decade after decade to inform people so we can make better decisions as voters, well, we don't even have on the menu a political party in Canada that is willing to stop digging up fossil fuels from the oil sands. It's not even a choice that the voter has from a federal uh, uh, party in Canada. So what happens when these systems and the system of governance just can't seem to figure out a a way of breaking out of the system and figuring something new out? You said pretty soon people are going to start blowing up pipelines. 
And your adversaries took that uh, in a very cynical way, which is not what you were saying, as if you were somehow excusing or inciting people to blow up pipelines. But what you're saying was 100 percent true. And it's not even going to be radicals or eco-terrorists. If enough people are displaced by climate catastrophe from their homes, if enough people can't eat, they're going to get violent. And it's already happening. I don't know if we've lost our chance to actually set back the clock in terms of uh, carbon in the atmosphere, but we we still maybe have a chance of preserving order in the world. But I, I fear we're not going to take that either. It seems like you, your message had moved on to saying we're going to have to get imaginative about creating a new system that does respect nature. Nature's laws are going to trump our, our invisible borders and our corporate uh, economy, they're, they're going to assert themselves. And we kind of have a little window here where maybe we could figure out a different way of dealing with it. Do you regret apologizing for that? Because I know what you meant and I thought you were right. Apologize, but I never said go and blow up pipelines. I just said if we continue to ignore the problems the way that we are now, people are going to be desperate enough to blow, start blowing up pipelines. You were That's right. That's all I'm saying. That's all I, why should I regret that? What I regret is failing to realize the way the media work. You know, the media are very selective. Their job is to sell newspapers or get a bigger audience or whatever. And truth and setting context, they're, they're not the highest priority. So my naivete in saying that, uh, you know, resulted in an opportunity for those that don't want to confront the actual reality of what I'm saying. The problem, though, is we're all caught up in the system. I had the CEO of one of the largest companies in the tar sands come down and he called and said, could I talk to you? I said, of course, I don't want to fight. Come and talk to me. Came down the next day And, uh, you know, I thanked him and said how honored I was and all that stuff. And then I said, look, before you come into my office, I'd like you to do me a big favor. Leave your identity as a CEO of an oil company outside. I want to meet you as one human being with another. Because I don't see the point of talking about carbon taxes or pipelines or, or any of that until you and I agree if we don't agree on some common things, then we're arguing all over the place and we're not talking to each other. So he was a good man. This isn't what he expected, but he was a good man. So reluctantly, he came into my office and I, I said, look, thank you for coming in. I know this isn't what you wanted, but let me tell you what I'm thinking. I said, you and I, we're animals. And I could see right away, didn't like, people don't like to be called an animal, right? We are animals. And I said, Mr. CEO, as an animal, what do you think is the most important thing you and I need? And instead of giving me the answer right away, he goes, well, uh, and I could see he's thinking a job, money, a house. Uh, I said, Mr. CEO, if you don't have air for three minutes, you're dead. If you have to breathe polluted air, you're sick. So humans don't make clean air. Nature cleans the air and creates the air for mm -hmm. us to breathe. And uh, so it's a sacred gift from nature. It seems to me we have a responsibility to pass the air that is going to go into our bodies on to future generations in a pure state. Then How I like that. To, well, he was listening. 
Then I went through water, right? So yeah. You and I are 70% water. We're basically a big blob of water with enough thickener added. We don't dribble away on the floor. I said, but we leak water. It comes out of our eyes and our mouth and our nose and our crotch. And I said, if you don't have water for four to six days, you're dead. Polluted water, you're sick. Water is cleansed by nature. We don't create clean water. It's a sacred gift. And then I went through food. We last a lot longer, but four to six weeks without food, we die. Most of it is grown in the soil. All of the energy in our body comes from photosynthesis. And I said, other things, corporations, companies, uh, governments, political parties, uh, these things, the market, currency, these are not forces of nature. We invented them. I said, you can't change the laws of nature that determine we need air, water, soil, and so on. But we can sure as hell change the systems we've created to fit with the reality of nature. I said, Mr. CEO, if you shake hands with me and agree with what I just said, I'll do everything I can to help you and your company. And he shook your hand and then he, he resigned as a CEO and now he's a monk. And the, uh, living in <laughs> if, harmony. Of, but you're saying exactly that the choice he had, he couldn't shake hands with me because he was a good man. He understood what I was saying. But in the game he's in, if he went back to his shareholders and said, well, I had a talk with Suzuki and he's right. Our company, an oil company, whatever we do, we can't mess with the air, water, or soil. He wouldn't be praised as this great visionary leader of the... He'd be fired in a second. That's not his job. His job is to make money. The faster and the, the more you make, the better. That's why the oil companies, which have known since 1959... Exxon's own scientist, John Black, by the 1970s, were saying, uh-oh, that's right, we're warming the planet. Despite knowing that, the primary drive of the oil industry is make money. The more, the faster, the better. And I'm sure they were. I'm sure those were all good guys as well. It only goes so far to say that this is a evil, rapacious, uh, greedy companies. Uh, they are, it's but they, the they exist in a system. We exist in a system, and we're going to exactly. burn our, our fuel as well today. Everyone exists in the system, and the and the only way it would stop is if they're forced to stop. And if and if our governments can't force them to stop, there is a choice that people have. Uh, you know, when when it comes down to it, people can rise up. That can happen. Pipelines can be. Uh, wh wh are we going to go there? What, what I want think? people. No, I I want people to think what's just happened in Ontario. Doug Ford made this incredible decision, and what resulted was an, a massive kickback or response from the public. The green belt mattered to people in Ontario, and they forced him. Yeah. To live by his own words. And it began with journalism. It began with journalism yeah. and then it went to the Auditor General and the Integrity Commissioner and then that went to the people and the people made their – the whole thing worked. I was astonished. I was astonished that the whole thing worked. It's fantastic. But you know what we, what we saw in the recent suit uh, in the United States with Fox News uh, is the media are driven by their own agendas and facts and truth are not 
the driving force of their agenda. And so when you say journalism, yes, but look at the sorry state of journalism today. You know, it's independent journalism. The CBC, I've always treasured because the CBC is paid for by the Canadian public. And that, that has made public broadcasting so important because now your constituency, the people that fund you, are the ones on whom, you know, that you have the obligation to. And we desperately need those avenues. Even the CBC, you know, we have now advertising on CBC television. That affects journalism. Well, you know, we're here uh, doing uh, radio. I'm a former CBCer and, and uh, now running this podcast company. And we've been uh, for years now saying when the CBC moved to podcasting, they, they, they started airing ads. It wasn't much of a commotion about that, but I thought that was an integral difference from what the CBC that I worked for, where we didn't have to worry about that sort of thing. You're absolutely right. But we're all caught up. In the system. So even those, you know, well-meaning and so on, you know, it's like environmentalists. We're caught up. If we say you got to shut down the tar sands, but wait, it won't destroy the economy and we can create jobs over. We're all justifying these things by saying it won't be destructive of the economy. But the economy is driving us into that. We need a different kind of economics. Let me me finish with you by uh, sharing with you the awful truth. I think everybody knows even the people denying climate change know that it's real. I, like you'd really have to be willing yourself into stupidity and ignorance. Maybe some people got there, but but I, but I think even those who are out there propagandizing, they kind of know that it's real. I mean, you go out in Toronto and and it smells like a campfire. It's at our door, and I think the awful truth is that Canadians are telling themselves, "Well, this is happening, but if it's got to happen." We're in the best possible place. And I, I, I don't mind if it's a little bit warmer here. We could farm more of the land. September's nice and sunny. And uh, I'm not on an ocean. I don't have to worry about my Toronto home being a lakefront property. Maybe this is even going to be good for us. And the Canadian government has, has uh, funded research into the economic benefits of climate change. And I think that we're still thinking in terms of a system – where it's economically beneficial, so we're still locked into that system, and we're still really believing in the nation state, that even in a world where people are dying to get out of their countries and we have all the water, that somehow our nation state is going to be uh, protectable. I think we're, we're still clinging to these notions. So I think that there's a, there's a certain strain, even in people who will say all the right things about fighting climate change, where we're getting used to the idea and we don't hate it. Yeah. We've spent so much of our time as a foundation uh, trying to inform people and, you know, make climate change or global warming real in their lives. We don't have to do that anymore. I mean, if people aren't willing to see with their own eyes and, and nose what the hell's going on, all of the trumpeting by organizations like ours aren't going to make any difference. So now, really, we're focusing on uh, local communities and saying, look, we're already over the edge of the cliff. We've got to try to catch on to a ledge somewhere, and that's in the uh, local community. You know, one of the glorious things about humankind is the diversity of human cultures and language and and uh, socioeconomic positions and all of that stuff makes us a very diverse organism. But the one time 
when we can act together as a single species, is when aliens from another galaxy arrive here and start invading the planet, killing millions of human beings, doesn't matter what color or culture they come from, you know, and every footstep they take crushes an acre of rainforest every second. Every time they fart, they spew out toxic poisons. They're scooping up everything from the oceans. We would act as one species and say, this is the, the threat. We've got to all come together and fight this off. Well, the alien is here. It's not from outer space, and it's not a person or a company or a, 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 a nation. It's a mindset. It's a mindset that has been globalized to say, we are in charge, we are the dominators, and we're so great, if we're not going to save this planet, we're going to invent a rocket and go and inhabit Mars, convert Mars into a, an Earth. I mean, this is the madness that is here now. But the mindset is the challenge that we face. And that's the hardest thing to change. So thank you, Canada Land, for whatever you're doing. And uh, we've all got to just hang in there and keep punching away. I'm going to send you a comic book called Watchmen. I think you'll like it. David Suzuki, thank you very much. At Arizona State University, we offer a wide variety of degree programs online to match all kinds of interests and career aspirations. Programs that are taught by the same notable faculty who teach on campus and designed using innovative technology to improve learning outcomes and equip you for post-graduation success. That's why 87% of ASU online graduates indicated they were promoted at work or received an increase in salary after earning their degree. Find your program at asuonline.asu.edu. Hey parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.